that's the first thing that that you'll find that unbelievers find fault with God. Well, if God was if God truly existed, then why does this bad stuff happen in the world? Why does all the, why is all this pain? Why is all this torment? And um, we kind of talked about it a little bit last week. The number one reason why there is pain in this world outside of like, say, like things like hurricanes and, and, and tornadoes and things like that and just natural disasters. The number one cause of pain in this world is, bar none, sin. Man's mistreatment of man, right? I want what you got, so I'm going to steal it. I want what you got, so I'm going to rob you. I want drugs, and, and they make you do bad things and, and stuff. And so there's this whole continuing cycle. And the thing is, is again, the world uses these excuses to blame God for it when it's not God's fault at all. God created man. He put him in a garden. He put him in a perfect situation where everything was great. God didn't tell him, look, I've got these millions of rules for you to follow. He says, I got this one thing. Don't eat from this tree. Everything else you can do. They eat off of this tree. And still, in the same way, we think of that, well, that's an Old Testament thing. But even in the New Testament, when the man comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what do I have to do to be saved? He says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, you know, when it comes down to it, Christianity is not about all these rules, all these things we have to do, all these things that we don't have to do, but it's loving God with all of our hearts. And if we love God with all of our hearts, we'll love our neighbor as ourselves, right? If I love God, I'm not going to try to cheat with my neighbor's wife. If I love God, I'm not going to try to, to um, do people over in business, right? And so, again, the number one reason why things happen in the earth is because of sin and because there is a Satan. There is an, an adversary. The Bible says he's a lion seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. And so there is an adversary who is trying to destroy our lives, number one, because we're following God. And it's because, and, and again, we, we get this misconception in our minds that, you know, and a lot of times things happen to us and we're like, God, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to serve you with... I, I don't know if you guys have had these thoughts, but I have had these thoughts where you're going through hell, you're going through really, really tough times, and you're like, God, I'm trying to follow you. Can't you see that I'm trying to be righteous? Can't you see that I'm trying to please you? Why are you allowing these things to happen to my life? And we see clearly right here that it's because of those things that they happened to Job. It's because Job was trying to please the Lord that Satan's going, I'm going to destroy this guy. And the reason why, and again, it's not because of us. He wants to destroy us to discredit God. And so in some senses, we're just pawns in this whole thing. But through it all, through the whole book of Job, as, as we'll see when we come to the end of it, we'll see that even though God did not cause this, God did not, um, God did not cause these things to happen to Job, through it all, God had a plan. And that plan was to bring Job to a place where Job truly knew who God was. Not by reputation, not from what the things he learned at church, not through anything else, but through intimate relationship. And sometimes for us, because we are flesh and because we seek the things of flesh, uh, and, and, you know, sometimes our relationship with God is a lot of times, a lot of it's just head knowledge, right? 
It's stuff that we've learned. It's stuff that we've been taught. But it's when we go through those hard times, it's when we go through the desert experiences, that's when we truly come face to face with God. Because that's when we truly get broken down on our knees before Him. And, and we're not playing religious games anymore. We're not doing the Christian thing. Now we're like, God, I need you now. And we're seeking him with all of our hearts, right? And the thing, the Bible says over and over and over that it's the ones who seek God with all of their hearts. Just like that, that song that we sang, when we're, when we're truly, um, our hearts are jealous for the Lord and the things of God, that's when he comes and makes himself known to us. Because God, God loves us in that way, right? And so we were created to love him in the same way. And that's that's the whole uh, the whole purpose of it. So um, the things that we learned was God does not cause these things to happen, but He uses those things to teach us if we persevere. And so many people, I've known so many people that were on fire for God, that something happened in their lives, some disappointment or some major pain, some major heartache, and they're like, you know what? I'm not going to live like this no more. People facing persecution, there's, I mean, we've all heard stories about people, you know, we were talking about Iraq and we we're talking about persecution and people who are laying down their lives. And there are people that come to that point and say, I can't do this. And I'm not, you know, I'm not judging them or, or any of that. But, but you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of times, and some of us, it takes so much less than that, right? I didn't get this thing that I was praying for. Or, you know, God, I wanted you to give me this wife and that didn't happen. Or I wanted you to give me this husband. And it's like, so now I'm not going to follow you anymore, right? And so the book of Job is about persevering until the end. And the thing is, is, is that's the way God sees our struggles and sees our trials. He sees the, he sees the light at the end of the tunnel, right? And the problem with us as humans is we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so we're walking through those things and, and we're praying and it's like we're praying and God is nowhere like a million miles away from us and he doesn't hear our prayers and he doesn't hear our cries, but he's there the whole time walking with us. And the, the problem is, is again, we, we've learned all of our lives to walk by sight and God is teaching us this way of faith. And the end result is maturity. Because when we get born again, we're still like children, aren't we? God, I want my way. I want my thing. We're just like children. And if I don't get my way, I'm going to throw a fit and I'm going to cry and stuff. And that's what the people in the, the wilderness, the children of Israel, every time, God, again, if you read the book of Exodus, it was God's desire to bring them from point A to point B. He wanted to bring them straight into the promised land. But because they're, want, they're grumbling and they continue to grumble, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And that generation died out, every single one of them, except for two people, Joshua and Caleb. And that trip was only 11 days. Wow, that's yeah, crazy. I studied that, only yeah. 11 days. And it took them 40 years. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, is it was not in God's desire to do that. He did not want to destroy those people. He want, Why did he bring them out of Egypt? He showed signs and wonders. He showed Pharaoh signs. He, he, he cursed the cattle and the land and brought darkness and blood in the Nile and all these things to make Pharaoh let the people go because God wanted to deliver them. And, he, and that's the thing. God doesn't just want to save us, right? He doesn't 
doesn't want to save us from our, our bad family situations, our drugs, our, our prostitution, all these things that we're bound to. He does want to save us from those things. He doesn't just want to save us from those things. He wants to save us to himself. We were talking about it earlier. God's purpose in his plan is not just to deliver us from our bondages. It's to bring us into that promised land. And that promised land is relationship and intimacy with him. And that is his ultimate goal for each one of us when we get saved. And the problem is, is a lot of us as believers, we never make it to that place. You know, that's why it talks about in Hebrews, there's a place of rest for the people of God. And it says, many of you have not entered into that rest. And that place of rest is that place of maturity, that place where we can like, like no matter where Paul said, I've been, I've been abounded and I've been abased and I've learned how, how essentially just to worship God no matter what and stuff. And, and so again, God is not causing these things and these things are, you, are for our benefit and for our purpose if we allow them to have their have, allow God to have his work in us and allow those things to mature us. Um, we saw the fact that, that, that those things happened to, to Job because, not in spite of the fact, but because of the fact that he was a righteous man. Um, and his friends, his, his friends, again, they, they wanted to help him out of a bad situation. But the problem was, is they, like us, did not listen to what he was saying, Right? A lot of times people are speaking to us and, and we try and we and we kind of whip out our religious guns and we're like, boom, 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 and I've got this answer and I've got this answer, you know, and stuff. And a lot of times it's our own pride and stuff instead of really listening. I mean, I, we, I think we've all experienced this situation where we're, we're just opening up our hearts to a brother or a sister and they're like, well, your problem is this. And they have no idea what you're dealing with. And they're completely missing the mark because... They aren't really listening to what you're saying. They're listening to what they're, they're just using it as an opportunity to show their wisdom or their, their, you know, their knowledge of the word or whatever. But sometimes with very good intentions. So it doesn't, yeah. mean, it doesn't mean that their intentions. Right. And, and obviously, yeah, obviously there's levels of that and things. But again, Job's friends, they truly wanted to help him. But, um, but all through the book, you'll notice that they keep, implying that Job is in sin, where we just read in, in Job 1 that it wasn't because he was in sin. It said he's blameless and turning away from evil. But again, that God was allowing it to happen to him because God was trying to bring forth something in his life. Can I share something? Yes. So in that um, first song, I'll see which one it is. So Satan was going to and fro, and the Lord said to Satan, Whence comest thou? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro. And the Lord said to Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job? There's two ways to ask that question. So the Lord could say, and I don't believe this is the way it was. Has thou considered my servant Job? As in, I'm giving him to you to to pick at, or it could be, hast thou considered my servant Job? He's so righteous. What would make you want to do that? You know, you know what I mean. There's a, two mm. ways to ask that question. Yeah. 
So I, I usually think about it the second way. Like, hast thou considered him? Why would you possibly do that? You know, he's a righteous man and he loves me and, and I love him. I'm taking care of him. How yeah. dare you do that? Yeah. You know, that's kind of how I, when I read that, that's kind of how it is. And then I think Satan says, yeah, but he doesn't have any reason to not be true to you because you take care of him. So then it's like, well, I'll just show you how righteous this man is. Yeah. Go ahead and see what you can do. But you're not going to get anywhere because I know this man. I know it's hard. Yeah. And that's good. And I, I think that part of that too is like, you know, we, you know, it's like, that's how you make wine is by pressing the grapes, right? Mm -hmm. And you really never, you know, you really never know what's in a grape until you squeeze it. And in the same way, a lot of times we think that we're pretty good. We think that we're, we're just right in there. We've been reading our Bible. We've been praying and things. And we're like, man, I'm doing pretty good, right? And then God's like, okay, well, let's let's squeeze you a little bit and see what's really in you and stuff. And, and, you know, and it says that, you know, and that's the thing. The Bible says through many trials and tribulations, we must go to get to the kingdom of God. And, you know, we were talking about last week, it's like all this prosperity gospel and Jesus, God just wants to bless you and to prosper you and to give you this, you know, this beautiful house and this perfect 3.5 family and stuff. And, you know, that, that only works in prosperous countries. It doesn't work in third world countries where people like are praying daily for their daily bread. And that's the thing with us in America, we have it so good. And I think that in a lot of ways, America is like Job. And I think that God is going to allow us to be pressed. Because we sit, you know, we sit and we get this mindset that we're, wow, we're, we're a Christian nation and, you know, and we're leading the world and stuff. And basically we're leading the world in sin. You know, the world copies America and the world sees all the things that we do and they want to be like us. And, we, and yet we still call ourselves a Christian nation and, and we're speaking out of both sides of our face. And I don't think God's going to allow it for, for much longer. But uh, in James 1, I'll just read it to you. It says, um, uh, verse 19, it says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And so, again, the, the whole thing about Job and his friends is, is like churches and believers. We, we start fighting. And the whole thing is, if you read through the book of Job, it's this continual escalation and stuff. And it gets to the point to where they're, they're essentially calling each other names. And, and, you know, like, you're wrong, and, you know, and this is why you're wrong. And that's, we as believers do that all the time, don't we? We fight over our doctrines. We fight over over our like things like tongues and speaking in tongues and like different denominations are at war. You know, I can't hang out with you because you're a Baptist, or I can't hang out with you because you're Pentecostal. And we judge each other on external things rather than does this person love the Lord. And the Bible says that we are to call together with brothers who call upon God from a pure heart. And there is a place for doctrine. There is a place for for uh, for um the foundations of the gospel right uh baptism and 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 uh being born again and loving the lord with all your heart and repentance and and walking in purity and holiness there is a place for all of that but the number one thing is the bible says they will know that you are believers by your love for one another 
And in a lot of places in the church, we think that, that the end-all, be-all is doctrine. Well, I've got my doctrine, and it's in my holsters, and if you come against that, I will, I will whip it out and shoot you with it. And I've been in religious arguments with people. You know, I've been, we, we went to a church where like, if you didn't believe that we, the way we believe we would, we had the scriptures and we would gun you down with them. And, you know, and that's the way a lot of, that's the way religiousness works is like, I've got my doctrines. I've got my religious things that my things are better than yours are. And essentially that's what Job and his friends are doing is they're fighting over this. Well, we're this denomination or we're this denomination. And, you know, God, the place of maturity is when you can, you know, I don't want to fight over doctrine, you know? I don't want to fight over, you know, this is what I believe. Do you believe all this or do you not believe? The main thing is, is are you following the God of the Bible? Are you seeking him with all your heart? Are you trying to be transformed into his image or are you just going to church? Are you just putting on the Christian label and doing the Christian thing and, and just thinking that that's going to get you into heaven? You know, the thing about Christianity, it's just following the Lord with all your hearts. And that's where we can unite with. That's where there's true unity. Unity is not this thing where, you know, we'll welcome your church to our church this week and then we'll come to this church next week. It's not about laying aside the truth for the sake of getting together. But the truth is, is knowing him, loving him with all of our hearts and seeking him, right? And getting together on that foundation. Amen? I think uh, well, one of the most scariest phrases we'll ever, somebody will ever hear is, depart from me, I never knew you. Mm. Mm. And uh, he, he has, I mean, Lord, for us today into heaven, he has to know us. I mean, it's one thing for us to know him, but he has to know us. Mm. Mm -hmm. and, That's um, good. How, how does he get to know us? Uh, well, where it's just him and, him, him and you, you know, him and us. That intimate place where nobody's allowed to go in. Because, I mean, for me to know you, Frank, we got to spend time with me. We, we got we to kick it. <laughs> we got to spend time. Yeah. And the thing is, is we as believers, we still judge each other a lot of times, don't we? Even like, like even amongst ourselves, sometimes like just the way a person looks or the way a person acts or whatever, you know, and a lot of times we'll judge that person without knowing who they are, without ever like getting to know that person. We just kind of judge them on outward things um, like their marriage is having problems. Well, obviously there's sin there, right? Or or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Or their kids aren't perfect, so there's sin there, right? And so we look at all these situations and we put ourselves in the place of judgment. And there is a place of judgment in the church. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. And we've talked about this before, but, you know, and that's the thing is, is the Bible says that we are to judge matters in the church. And... We are, as, and that's the whole thing, is Christianity is not this wishy-washy, don't judge me, I won't judge you, and I'm going to live in sin, I'm going to live the way that I want to, don't judge me and stuff. And that's the, you know, that's the thing that happens is, is you try to, 
you know, you see something in a brother or sister's life, and in gentleness and in love, you try to correct them. The first thing they say is what? Don't judge me, right? And they use Scripture as though that that's what Scripture says, but that's not what Scripture says. And in Matthew 7, verse 1, it says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Look at this. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So what's the problem here? The problem is, is I'm living in sin, but I'm, and I'm living in a lot of sin, but I'm going to judge you for this little bitty thing that you're doing, right? That's the issue that's being, that's being, that Jesus is addressing. Verse 4, he says, Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your own eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, look at this, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. And so Jesus is not saying, don't look at the situation. And, and that's the whole thing. We all judge. Judging is nothing more than looking at a situation and discerning what it is, right? But God wants us to judge with righteous judgment. He doesn't want us to make snap decisions. He doesn't want us to make decisions that are, that are just based on partial information. And that's how many times do we do that, right? We hear a partial like, oh, this guy was doing this or this person was doing that. And without really finding out to see whether it's true or to see what the facts are, we just take it, we, we take that and we believe it. And so we judge that person without knowing the facts. And the Bible says, if you've got something against your brother, you need to go to that person in private, just you and them, and find out what's really going on, right? And it's rampant in the church. It's rampant in Christianity. Oh, sister so-and-so did this. Oh, really? And then we, you know, we'd never go to them. We never deal with the problem at the root. We start telling other people, well, let's pray for this person, right? And we, under the, the hypocritical guise of trying to help this person, we're spreading gospel and stuff. And so Jesus wants us to judge, but he wants us to judge rightly. Um, turn to another place in... Only those in the church, not to judge outside the church. Right, 1 Corinthians 5. So I guess the, it's, I, I was just thinking about that saying earlier today, the, don't judge a book by its cover. That's good, man. And I was just sitting on that. So we can judge a book, but, but not by its cover. Right. And, and the thing is, is just like it said, we read the scripture in James, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. And so, and we're going to see in a little bit that there's a purpose for judging. And that is not to look down on anyone or to kick anybody while they're down. It is for their regeneration. It is for their, and it's with the heart that this person be restored. Judge any kind of, of, of judgment in the church that, that lacks a spirit of restoration is false. Anytime we ever look at somebody and we, we put them down and we, we all do it. I mean, we are all guilty of it, right? I mean, I would love to say that we're not. I would love to say that I'm not, but I know I am. But any time that we do that, that is the spirit of Satan. It is not the spirit of God. When we just look at somebody and we just make that snap judgment, that's not God, ma'am. Can I give two examples? Dan Lawrence mm -hmm. talked before about, you know, he'll be in his office counseling somebody and the kid says he's sleeping with his girlfriend. So he starts counseling, you shouldn't be sleeping with your girlfriend. Well, don't judge me. 
I didn't. You just told me you're sleeping with your girlfriend. <laughs> the Bible says that's wrong. The Bible's judging you, not me. You told me that you're doing that. But then another example, one time he had to, he was looking for the daughter of this couple in his church that was prostituting herself. Mm-hmm. And so he spoke to this one girl who, who was a prostitute who knew she, who she was or where she was. Yeah. And so he, she, he got her in the car and so he was witnessing to her and, you know, she was crying, bawling tears because the way he witnesses is powerful. And so she's like strongly convicted and leads him to the other girl. Well, if a church member, you know, if any of us saw that, oh, that preacher just put oh. a prostitute in his car, yeah. then yeah. you're like judging the situation yeah. from the outside. That's where it's good to go to the f- person first yeah. and get the real story. That's, that's different than you outright telling me. I'm that is really this. good. And then you go to the person first and you say, probably not a good idea to be in that car by yourself. No. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, but in those situations, you don't. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're looking for a lost kid that you right. need to help. And that's, you know, he's... He's strong in this person. I mean, you have to know him. Yeah, if that's your weakness or something. But right. it is your job not to jump to conclusions yeah. first. And if you have a con- if it looked conclusive like that, go to the person, yeah. mm-hmm. and he'll tell you a miraculous story. And you may start crying too because mm-hmm. of the powerful influence and effect that he had in you know those two girls' lives. Yeah. And that's the whole thing about First Corinthians where it says love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. And what that doesn't mean is that love is just stupid. And love just allows anybody just to, to, to just whitewash them and they believe everything. It doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that you, you hope the best, right? And until I find out differently, that's how I'm going to pursue it. Right in that same situation, I'm gonna hope that this is the best. And I'm I'm, I'm gonna find out what it is, mm-hmm. but but it's the hope for the best. And if you find out that it's not the best, it's like how can how can this be restored? How can you know how can this man be be um, be restored? And in First Corinthians five verse one it says it's actually reported that there's immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Look at this. For I on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. So this is Paul. And he's saying, I have judged this person. In the name of the Lord, verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus, when you're assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And again, a lot of the things, and obviously I'm not saying all those things, but a lot of, you know, it's like Job's friends were saying, a lot of the things that we do experience are things that we have brought about on ourselves right, are a direct result of our sins. We are reaping what we have sown and stuff. And God won't always stop that. I, there's been times in my life when I did something wrong and I knew I did something wrong and I prayed, God, please don't let me be punished. Please don't let me be punished. I got punished, <laughs> right? Because God is not this just grandfatherly figure that's just going to say, okay, there you go, go ahead. And sometimes God will do that. I've had also cases in my life where I deserved to be punished, and God spared me from that and stuff. 
But the thing is, is again, God is out for our maturity. He's out for our maturation. Um, verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover has also been, sacri has been sacrificed. Um, verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? And so again, it is our place as believers to judge the things in the church. And again, part of the problem that is wrong with the church today is there is none of that. Um, in a lot of churches, um, the, the leaders of the church are in sin. Right? We've seen so many cases, people, case after case of ministers falling in sin. And it's like, no one knew about this? No one knew that these things were going on? And the Bible says, as the priests go, so go the people. And so if, if the leaders are walking in blatant sin, the leaders are practicing these things, what are the people going to be like? You know? And so the thing is, is there has to be judgment. There has to be a pruning and a weeding and a dealing with the issues. And, and, and that's all it is. It's like, if you're sick, you're going to, you're going to deal with those things. If you don't deal with the sickness in your body, what's going to happen? It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And pretty soon it's going to die. It's like, if you find out that you have cancer, what are you going to do? You're going to run to the doctor and you're going to find out what do I have to do to fight this, right? You're not just going to allow it to happen and to spread through your body. At least most of us aren't, right? And that's the same way with the body of Christ. There is cancers, there's leaven that we just allow because of this do not judge. And this whole, don't judge me, man, you know? And we use this as a shield to hide behind. And that's not the way God intended the church to be at all. And uh, one more scripture in uh, um, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And, you know, we were talking earlier, um, you know, a lot of times we, when we sin, we think, well, you know what, this is just a little sin. It's just going to affect me. It's not going to affect anybody else. It'll be okay. Um, these whole things that we're talking about in Iraq... And the Muslims and, and the things that are happening in the Middle East and things that happen on in this country is all a direct result of, of Abraham's sin with Hagar, right? Yeah. And God, the angel told him right there, they, they, you know, this son's going to be blessed. He's going to be a mighty nation, but he's going to be, I don't know what it says in the New American Standard, but in the King James, it says he's going to be a wild ass of a man. And basically, that's what the sons of Ishmael have been to this very day. So because of that one sin, look at all the heartache and the pain and the suffering in the world now. And so again, we think sometimes, uh, you know, this is just a little sin. It's not going to affect nobody. And sin has a ripple effect. And sin is not, you know, it's not something that we just do in a corner and it just affects ourselves. It affects the whole body of Christ. And even how he talked about, right, in the capital of Bangladesh, was it Bangladesh, the capital? No, Baghdad. Where he talked yeah. about that's where the very place where the Tower of Babel, Babel yeah. was 
was going on, and then the curse for the Tower of Babel for their sin of pride was division. Yeah. And what's interesting about that, too, is that whole area is the place where, where most people believe that the Garden of Eden was. So, again, you talk about one sin um, just having ripple effects. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse... Uh, I heard that I read uh, today uh, at church. Jeremy was saying that Nineveh is a is modern Iraq. Yeah. Where Jonas was saying yeah. to preach. Yeah. And then he didn't want to go. Yeah. And the people were so rebellious. Yeah. That's Iraq. Nineveh. Yeah. Yeah, they were a wicked people. They were known for like coming up with cruel ways to kill people kill and people, torture. First yeah. Timothy two verse uh, fifteen. Man, I did it again. <laughs> Always get the wrong reference. Anyway, Paul is... Well, that's the wrong reference. But anyway, Paul is speaking to young pastors and young leaders of the church, and he, he tells them to correct, reprove. That's the same scripture where he says, don't let anyone look down on your youth, but, you know, and stuff. And he says, reprove, correct with all patience so that they may come to their senses and escape the clutches of Satan. And of sin. So again, the purpose and the purpose of the New Testament writers of the apostles, when they when they wanted there to be correction in the church, was so that the per, the people would be restored. And we had just talked to someone just this past week because this this person that we do, he 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 reproved this other person, but it was just sharp, right? It was without without any kind of mercy, without any. It's just you're just a sinner essentially. Right. And, you know, if we have this attitude, people aren't going to get, you know, when we see when you see someone in sin, I mean, it's like, man, what what can we do to help you come out of this? Right. And that's the way it should be. You know, it's like there's a statement that it says church is the only only army on the earth that, that buries its wounded and stuff. And, and in a lot of senses, you know, we've all seen that. And, you know, God is looking for a people who are going to truly love each other, be there for each other when they're down, and not kick each other when they're down, but say, what can I do? And this is that's leadership in the body of Christ too, right? Leadership is not this thing where you're sitting above judging everybody and, and saying, look at me, I'm the big guy and stuff, but it's the people who get down, put the towel on, and get on their knees and serve the other people and stuff. And that's the way that God designed it. So this is kind of essentially what's going on in the book of Job. And also we start to see some things as, as the book goes on, like when Job first starts experiencing these things, I mean, he's, he's obviously venting to the Lord and I wish I'd have never been born and stuff like that. But as it progresses and as Job keeps uh, experiencing hardships and troubles and stuff like that, he starts to blame God. And he starts to not only blame God, but to begin to call him out. And say things like, oh, only if, if God were a man so that we could we could basically go outside and duke it out and stuff. And uh, so look in. Okay, is this the word you were looking for? What's that? Well, well scripture is given by inspiration. Yeah, no. But that's good too. It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 
that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And yeah, I mean, obviously it's God's desire that we all be complete, that we all be established. And that's what the thing about perfection is. I mean, we, we you know, God tells us to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And, and we're going on to perfection and stuff. And, you know, uh, we, were, we were talking to some people that the other day that were talking about that. And they were saying that they were um, teaching that God, that God has made it to where we can be sinlessly perfect in this life. And... God does want us to be sinlessly perfect, but if you know yourself like I know myself, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But the whole point that God is trying to get at is that sinlessly perfect or perfection in the eyes of God is the mature person. To where you're not crying every time things don't go your way. You're not you're not immature. You're not starting fights among the brethren. And I don't like the way we do this thing. Or I don't like how this is. And I don't like this. And I don't like that. And that's right. So God's when God is talking about perfection, he is talking about a mature person. Someone that doesn't live in that place. Um, turn to Job chapter 30. Paul's thing, and when I was a child, I thought like a child. Yeah. Now that I'm a man. Right. I put away childish things. In Job chapter 30. And again, we're, what we're doing is we're just basically running through the book. And I think that, but this will give you tools in understanding it and understanding the dynamics between Job's friends and things. And, you know, we were talking about last last week is that a lot of people believe that Job was the very first book of the Bible written. You know that the Bible is not chronological, right? You know that some of the books of the Bible were written after, a, you know, like Matthew may have been written after, like John or, you know, something like that, right? All the books of the Bible are not in order. A lot of things in the Bible are, are just in different places and stuff. So a lot of people that the, believe that the book of Job was the first um, inspirational scripture that was written. And the thing that is really awesome about that is the book of Job answers the questions that we are asking today. Those questions of like, God, where are you when, when things are happening? When, 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 when um, trials are coming? When, when, when it looks bleak and it, it looks like there's no hope? Where is God in this situation? Why is God uh, allowing this to happen? Is God doing this, right? The book of Job answers all that. And so the thing is, is again, we think that the people in the past and the ancient people were just these dumb people that are somehow um, less intelligent than we are and stuff. They were no different than we are. The people in this book are the same as you and me. That's why we can read the Bible and find sustenance for ourselves because these people had the same exact problems that we go through, the same um, um, mindsets and things like that. And so we're, we're the same as them, and that's why God can still speak to us through his word. And in Job 30, um, verse 16, Job is saying, and now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have seized me. At night it pierces my bones within me, and my gnawing pains take no rest. By a great force my garment is distorted. It binds me about as the collar of my coat. Look at this in verse 19. He, speaking about God, has cast me into the mire. Now what did we see in verse uh, chapter 1? It wasn't God. It was Satan, right? 
And again, isn't this what we do? God did this to me. God is allowing this to happen to me. God, why are you doing this to me? God did not do this to him. So Job is falsely accusing God. And one, th and that's the thing, guys, is it's okay. God is a big boy, if you, if you will. God doesn't mind when we vent a little bit, but be careful that we're respectful, right? And we know our place. It's like, like with with my with my dad as a kid, I could say some things were wrong, but I had to be careful in how I said them, right? And so here, Job is starting to step over the line here, and he's starting to accuse God. And uh, is verse 19, it says, He has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you for help, but you do not answer me. I stand up, and you turn your attention against me. Look at this. You have become cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up to the wind, you cause me to ride, and you dissolve me in a storm. For I know that you will bring me to death and to the house of meeting for all the living. Um... In verse 24, yet one does not in a heap of ruins stretch out his hand or in disaster therefore cry out for help. So again, he's blaming his situation on God. Look at another place in Job, um, um, Job chapter 9, verse 17. Interesting because at the, the very last verse of chapter 1 was, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he right. blame God. That's how it started. Yeah. It, it's just interesting. And that's the thing. And, and we talked about last time how, you know, everyone always says, you know, God will not give you more than you can handle. In the first place, that's not what the scripture says. In the second place, God will give you more than you can handle. And I have been, there's this, there's a, actually, it's a secular song by Amos Lee. It says, I've learned a lot. I've really learned a lot. Broken down on the bedroom floor. And, you know, it's in those places. Okay, we're not playing games anymore. We need God to come through for us, and we are crying out to God with all of our hearts, and it's in that place where God brings that place, that process of maturity, where God begins to do that deep work that He wants to do in our hearts. Because it's, it's in that place that finally we're ready for Him to, we're ready for him to come in and do his work in us, right? Because all, most of the time, again, we think we're doing pretty good. We think, man, you know, I'm I'm following God. I haven't done, you know, I haven't looked at, you know, um, anything bad in a, in a while. I haven't I haven't cussed at anybody. I haven't kicked any cats or anything like that. So we think we're doing really good, and we get this high opinion of ourselves until God allows us again to be crushed, and then we're like, okay, I'm not so good, right? Slightly. <laughs> Certain things come out of our faces. Right. <laughs> and, and, and again, and the, the thing is, too, is God, you know, sometimes, and I have been in trials, man, where I'm like, is this ever going to end? And a lot of times um, we start good, right? Because we know in our heads, we know in our, in our minds that, okay, God, God's going to allow us to be tempted. He's going to allow these things, consider it all joy, all this kind of stuff. And so we start out really good, but as the trial progresses, as the, as the, as the pressing progresses, we start, like Job, we start to begin to, okay, this has been long enough now, and we start to, like, complain, right? And we start to grumble in our hearts and stuff. And this is the point where God is getting us to. You know, we think, okay, God, this thing should have been done a long time ago. I'm good. We're good to go. And God's like, no, now we're starting. So, and in verse, uh, verse 17, 
Job is saying, for he bruises me with a tempest and he multiplies my wounds without cause. Now God's doing it for no reason whatsoever, right? God's just having a good time. And multiplies my wounds without cause. He, he, he will not allow me to get my breath, but saturates me with bitterness. If it's a matter of power, behold, he's a strong one. If it's a matter of justice, who can summon him? In other words, he's just picking on me because I'm a little guy, right? He says, though I am righteous, my mouth will condemn me. Though I'm guiltless, he will declare me guilty. Again, here Job is putting himself in a higher place than he ought to be, right? Because who of us are without sin, right? And it says in Lamentations 4, I think it is, is, is none of us have any right to complain in view of our sins. You know, every single one of us are alive today because God has had mercy on us. In the Bible, in Genesis 1, like he says, if you sin, you will die. In the day that you sin, you will die. And the fact that every one of us are alive right now is because of God's mercy. And so really, if you, if you break it down, who are we to complain about anything? The fact that God still loves me in spite of the things that I've done, that God still has mercy on me, I mean, that should just break us. That, should, that just should take away all of our complaints, all of our excuses, all of our, all of our stuff, man. Because God still loves us, and he still has mercy on us, and he still grants us awesome jobs, and he still grants us the middle booth, and he still does all these cool things for us. Um, says, uh, verse 20, he says, Though I am righteous, my mouth will condemn me. Though I am guiltless, he will declare me guilty. I am guiltless. I do not take notice of myself. I despise my life. It is all one. Therefore, I say he destroys the guiltless and the wicked. God doesn't care, right? If the scourge kills suddenly, he mocks the despair of the innocent. So now he's saying that God has no mercy. God mocks people in pain, right? And so again, when we're in trials, when we're in these situations, sometimes we don't say these things, but it's our attitude. And we get this attitude, and what happens is, at this point, we are judging God, right? We have set ourselves as a judge over God, and that's what the world does. Every time when there's a disaster, every time when something goes wrong, and the news people get on there and saying, why would God allow this to happen? We are setting ourselves above God as his judge. And if you think about that, that's a scary thing. To sit there and, and to judge God, right? And so God still has mercy and God... And so, again, throughout the book, Job is just making this progression where he's just, he's, he's, he's just starting to say these dumb things and he's starting to just um, become foolish and stuff. And, and basically, we'll just kind of skip through this and stuff. Um, so we know all of Job's friends and, and they're, 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 they're judging him and they're saying false things about him. Um, there's this one guy named Elihu, and, you know, it's like, have you ever sat there and listened to, like, three or four people argue together and stuff, and it's like, it's just getting worse and worse, and nobody's trying to understand, nobody's trying to see the other side, nobody's trying to get along and stuff, and it's like, you can't take it anymore, and it's like, okay, shut up, <laughs> right? And so this is Elihu. What he does is he gets up and says, you're all being stupid, essentially, and he begins to he begins to he begins to say, you know, whenever God judges, he judges justly. When God judges, he judges rightly. 
right? Because Elihu, he saw the situation for what it was. Right? He could see, he didn't sit there and try to talk over the other guy. He didn't sit there and try to prove his point. Oh, you got to be quiet because I'm trying to prove my point. Right? He sat there and listened. And when he could take no more, he began to speak what God said. And, and he begins to minister and tell them what God is truly saying. And turn to Job 38. So after all of this, and after, after somebody actually speaks some wisdom, God speaks. Now imagine if you're in this situation, and that's what I do with the Bible, is I try to put myself in the place of the people in the Bible, right? Because it's not real. That's, isn't that what we do when, it, you know, it's not real until you put yourself in that situation. In Job 38, verse 1, <laughs> Then the Lord answered Job, now, this is chapter 38. So for 37 chapters, it's everybody else talking. It's everybody else speaking. It's like, well, I got this opinion. I got this opinion. This is what's right. This is, and everybody's flaunting their knowledge and stuff. Then God speaks. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I mean, Think of it like as a movie or, or something or put yourself in this situation where God comes in a whirlwind and says, okay, now you've talked all this talk. You want to talk now? This is the situation, right? It's like, okay, we've talked trash about God. We've said all these things that are untrue about him. Now God is in the room and God is not playing games. God is here. He's, he's serious. He comes in a whirlwind and says, okay, let's face each other. He says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Look at this. Can you imagine God saying this to you? Now gird up your loins like a man. He says, you want to step outside? Let's step outside. <laughs> he says, I will ask you and you instruct me. You teach me. You're so smart. You're so wise. You think you're all this. He says, you instruct me. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? He says, uh, or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth it went out from the womb? When I made a cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and I placed boundaries on it and set a bolt and doors, and I said, Thus far you shall come, but no farther, and here, shall, here will your proud wave stop. And so, you know, all this stuff, you know, and the thing is, uh, you know, with science and things, we always try to think that we're so smart. We try to, you know, we come up with these answers to life's riddles and we come up with these things. Well, you know, the pyramids were probably built like this or Stonehenge was done like this. And, this. and we think that we're so smart and we're so wise and we're like, well, yeah, uh, you know, God does everything. You know, we're held onto the earth with gravity. OK, what is gravity? How does that work? Right? How is it that we can breathe air and fish live in the water and they breathe air through the water and they, it, but we can't go in the water and breathe, right? How do these things happen? You know, and we just take it for granted that we think we're so smart and we got answers and we, we think that we have all this wisdom, but when it comes down to it, we don't know anything. How does a cell grow? 
You know, I mean, science can say, well, you know, you get your nucleus and your this and your that and stuff. But seriously, how does it grow? What is life? We talk about artificial in, um, AI, artificial intelligence and, and things like that. What is life? And can you duplicate it? Can you create it? They've not been able to do it so far, right? But we think, it, and the thing is, is we talked about Babylon and how man built this tower to, to reach the skies with all of his knowledge and his pride. And that's what man is doing now. And that's what we, that's what this age, that's what this generation that we are in is doing. And there is a unity of people trying to reach the heavens and show that they're smarter than God, that they're better than God, that they're wiser than God. And that is so we, and it's, it's funny to me that English is becoming a universal language, right? I mean, even people in Japan learn English in school. People in other countries learn English. And it's interesting to me that God scattered the world because they came up with a common language so that they could become as, as great as God. And now, at the same time, in, in this world that we're in right now, it's, it seems like it's coming to that same place, right? Where we all speak the same language. And our, our knowledge and our wisdom has made us smarter than God. And we're able to clone things. And we're able to do all these wonders and stuff. Well, you still can't create life. And you still don't know what life is. And you still don't know what the true answers to things are. You don't know how a person grows. We don't, you know, we don't know any of that, but we think that we're so wise. And so God speaks to Job and God begins to just, I mean, if, if in the next two or three chapters, God is just going on and on about, you think you're so smart? Yeah. You know, look, I created this and I created that. How did you, where were you at? Right. And all these people that think they're so wise, it's like, oh, really? Where were you at when, when, I cre when I did that spark? And we say that it's this explosion that caused life. The basis of science is that if it is not true science unless you can duplicate something in a laboratory. And nobody in the history of mankind has ever, under any circumstances, whether it's a laboratory, whether it's in the field, whether it's an accident, whether it's on purpose, nobody has ever one single time created life through an explosion. Explosions don't create life. Explosions destroy life, right? So again, we're so full with our knowledge and we're so proud of who we are and our accomplishments and stuff, and God laughs. God the Bible says that God scoffs at mankind and stuff. Like we were, you know, in one of my physics classes, because I, I went to a Christian school, but um, uh, we were talking about the, you know, the Big Bang, and, and you know, they, so they run simulations of what would be required, and, and the, the level of error is, like, that, that would, like the of expansion of the universe would have to expand is... I mean, it's it's understating it to say the level of air would be infinitesimally small. Like, if it expands too quickly, it collapses on itself. It's, if it's too dense, you know, or, or whatever, or, you know, then, you know, and problems of antimatter and matter destroying each other and, and stuff like that. And, and, and it's basically like, okay, you know, if the Big Bang did happen, uh, then uh, it ha then uh, it, it, all, it pretty much almost has to be guided by the hand of God uh, mm. to, to, to be mathematically possible. <laughs> so in itself, it would have to be a miracle. Yeah. So, so yeah. So and in ver uh, chapter 42, 
So God <laughs> tells Job who he is. So the whole book of, uh, a lot of the book of Job, Job is like, man, if only God were a man, that we could come hash this out and stuff. And God comes down and lets him have it, right? And this is the purpose of the book of Job in Job chapter 42, verse 1. It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand. Um, <laughs> part of growing up, I know as a kid, I, I thought that I was pretty smart and stuff. And I, I, I don't know if you're like me, but I had experiences when I had to come to the realization where, oh, I don't know as much as I thought I did. Right. Or it's like, wow, I, I thought I knew stuff. But, and then you find you, you think that you have all this knowledge. You think that you know things and then you find out that it's wrong. Right. And it humbles you. Right. And this is what God is doing to Job. Job is finally coming to that place of humility. Again, Job started thinking that he was more than what he was. He started accusing God. He started blaming God. So in other words, he was sitting in judgment on God. God comes face to face with him and now Job understands. And this is the whole thing. I wrote at the top of, of, of chapter 1 in my, uh, in my Bible, uh, Matthew 8.28, God works all things to the good of those who are called, who love him, who are called according to his purposes. And that, in a nutshell, is the book of Job. So again, God didn't cause these things to happen to Job, but he was allowing it so that Job could learn wisdom, so that Job could learn maturity, and Job could learn humility. Because that is the number one sin of mankind is pride, right? Pride goes before fall. It's our pride. It's our pride. It's pride that made Satan fall, right? It's our pride. We thinking that we're something that we're not or that we're better than we're not that makes us start to look down on other people, to judge other people and stuff. And God, God, the, the way that we truly, because it's the humble, right? God reveals himself to the humble, to the lowly, to the broken. The meek shall inherit the earth, not the prideful. Not the ones who've got it all together, who think that they're something that they're not. And so God's purpose in Job was to bring him to this place. God allowed Satan to do those things to bring Job specifically to this place. And God, all of our trials are different. All of our trials have different purposes. But through it all, God wants to bring us to this place of humility. Through all of our deserts, through all of our, our, our situations, everything that we're grumbling at, my boss hates me or people, are, my co-workers are mad at me, whatever it is, we can be sure that the purpose of that, and maybe even if it's, you know, but the ultimate goal of all suffering and all trial is the place of humility and brokenness before God, where we see that he's everything and I'm nothing. I must decrease. He must increase. It's all about him. We think it's all about us. It's not about us. It's about him. And God brings us to this place of brokenness and contrition. And now our eyes can see. One of the verses that God's brought to my life when I was going through a really, really difficult time. I love to read those books where it's just straight God speaking for several chapters. It's just always, I just need to hear straight God because yeah. it just shows you his power. But this one verse, 
Who has given to me that I should repay mm. him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Mm. And that's just because there was one time I'd been through so much. And here I was going through, you know, God, I thought my life was going to be like Job. Like, I went through all this garbage. Mm. And that now you're going to repay me, you know, sevenfold. And, you oh, know, the rest of my life is, so is going to be awesome because of all this garbage that I went through. And here I am in the middle of another garbage Still, trial yeah. mm. <laughs> and so I'm like thinking about all that I've done for God and all that I've suffered through mm. and then it's like almost like he was in the room speaking wow. this verse yeah. who has given to me that I should repay him wow. whatever is under the whole heaven is mine so now, is... all those things I hadn't given to him yeah. you know he helped me through those trials. He gave me the wisdom that I needed to seek him. To He gave me the heart. He gave me all, all those things. Yeah. And it, it wasn't me. Yeah. He helped me through it. I could have wound up like other people, but he showed me himself. And he showed yeah. me his word and caused me to seek him. And so it was still all him. Yeah. I think I'm given to him, obeying him in hard places. But it's still him giving yes. me the wisdom to obey him. Give me the word. I had his word. I grew up with his word. You know, some countries don't have his word, don't mm -hmm. have preaching, okay. hear the wrong word, you know, so at least I have that. Yes. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, like, uh, again, like, what can we give to him? You know, uh, even like this whole thing, well, if I give this money, God's going to give back to me, right? And so, well, God might. Because, you know, he's, he's full of love and mercy and he loves to bless people and stuff. But to, to use this as some kind of a formula where God is bound to bless me because I give, that's, that's ridiculous. God is not bound to do anything for any of us for any reason. The best thing that we do for him is a drop in the bucket, right? On the other hand, though, God loves it. He wants us to be co-laborers with him. He wants to bless us. He... God created us to have fellowship with him and he delights in that. He delights when we, but it's never this thing where we can use it. Oh, God, see what I did. See what I've done. You've got to do this for me now. You know, you, you, like God owes us. God doesn't owe us anything. God saved us. He sent his son for us. If he did nothing else for us, he doesn't owe us anything. You know, and and again, that is the religious mindset that we get into and we think that God owes us something because I did something for him. He doesn't owe us anything. Everything that we do for him is out of gratitude, is out of thanksgiving, out of love. Lord, I'm doing this. This is my, this is my, my, my two, my mites that I'm putting down for you, not because I want to get something out of it, not because I deserve something, not because I think you're going to bless me now because I did this, but because out of gratitude. And that is the secret, guys. That is the secret. Everything that we're doing is not because I have to do this or because God's going to bless me if I do this or because God's going to owe me, but it's like God has already done it. He has already blessed us. He has already given us everything that he could give to us. And, and it's worth so much more than, we, than our tiny little minds even have an inkling of. And God brought Job to that place. And Job finally could see it. And Job finally could understand. And in uh, verse 4, 
He says, like all this time, Job's been talking. Job's been saying all these things. Verse 4, he says, Hear now, and, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. Now it's not Job trying to teach. It's not Job trying to show his knowledge. It's not Job trying to say what he is. He's like, man, I need you to teach me. I need you to instruct me. Um, verse 5, I, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Look at this. But now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. So again, Job understood, and, and I think that all of us, when we first get saved, we, we have the spark in us, right? We have, we have the, the fire in us and stuff, and it's our job to, to, uh, to blow on that, just like Paul told Timothy, fan the gift of God that's within you and stuff. And as we do that, God will begin to reveal himself to us, and the more we want him, the more he will give to us. And, but, but if we think that it's going to be easy and it's without pain, we are deluding ourselves. And if we go to a church that says that teaches that God just wants to bless you, make you happy, give you everything that your heart desires, and just, and just it's all about you, that is a lie from hell. And we will never experience who true God truly is that way. Because it is through the way of pain. It is through the way of travel. The Bible says the, the, the people who went through the valley of Baca or tears found joy. And it's only as we go through those valleys, through those wildernesses, when we see him for who he truly is, that's when we truly begin to know him. And it's now it's not theoretical. Now it's not just something in my head. It's not something that I read or someone taught me. Now it's like I know him. And that's the thing that's hard for parents is, is, is we want to pass on uh, our relationship with the Lord to our kids and stuff. But it, it, God has no grandchildren. And the thing is, is with all of our children, with all, you know, with you guys will hopefully someday have kids and stuff, you cannot pass what you have on to them. They have to learn it for themselves. They have to walk through this valley themselves. And we as parents, we have to allow them to walk through the hard things. And uh, the problem with us as, as, as Christians is we try to shelter our kids and we try to prevent any bad things from happening in, to them. But, and I'm not saying that we purposefully allow hard things or whatever, but it is through those times that people truly come to know him. And, and really, I, th I think there's no other way. Well, one of the things about going through hard times, and like you were mentioning, Christy, that you had gone through these hard times, and then a second time, and maybe a third time, and the Lord had said to me that what we go through, we minister to. Mm. So even though it's, you know, for me it was a lot of trash, going through that trash, I have that empathy and the sympathy and the compassion yeah, yeah, now to yeah. minister to yeah. that people. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's good. good. That's very good. But okay. you know what? I, I, th I think um, we should always pray for discernment because I'm giving yeah. an example. Uh, Joe Austin, he preaches a few good messages and his church is filled with people. Mm -hmm. 30,000 members. I, I had the opportunity of going to Houston sitting down to one of his... Uh, messages I mean what what one of those services you come out of there feeling good because he doesn't preach the real uh, the real um, gospel no everything is just like well God is gonna bless you God is gonna bless you but he doesn't mention anything about like you know the dark valleys the dark valleys that sometimes we have to go through 
Yeah. And like he was saying, Anita, those are the moments like God allow us to go through that because it's going to put people on our path that's going to need that compassion, yeah. that loving. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, I feel for people that go through pain. Why? Because I experience pain myself. Mm-hmm. I No one, you know, like no one in here has broken the neck and experienced that pain. Let me tell you, that is some pain. Yeah. And, and when, when I meet someone who's going through pain, like my heart just breaks because I know what it is to be bound to pain 24-7 mm. on a neck brace for three years. You yeah. know, like, like, and I think God allow, not, uh, that uh, allow me to go through that because he's going to put more people in my path to help them with the pain. I like say, no, you want to know about? Yes. Oh, yeah. you don't understand me? Yes, I do. Look at my neck. Yeah. I do understand the pain you're going through. And sometimes then you can get to them. Mm-hmm. You know That's what cool. I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. God uses your, your, your hardship to minister to somebody else because your hardship is what's going to help you get to that person. Right. And that's the thing about the body of Christ is, you know, that's what we're supposed to be doing. You know, and that's, again, you know, uh, and that's why none of us are insignificant. You know, sometimes we're like, well, what can I do? What can I offer and stuff? It's because of what you've been through that you, you've got plenty to offer. And I think that what we need to do is we need to be on the lookout to find people that need what we've got, right? Instead of keeping up to ourselves and saying, oh, I don't have anything. No, that's not what God created us for. He wants us to find those people that need what we have because we all have things. We all have experiences. None of our experiences are the same. Yeah. None of us have been through the same stuff. Each of us have been through different stuff. Some of it might be similar, but nobody has been through the thing that you have been through. And I promise you, there are people that need what you've got. So, all right, let's finish this up. And uh, verse 7, it says, It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. Look at this. And my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken to me of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Verse 9. Then Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamathite went and did as the Lord told them. Look at this. And the Lord accepted Job. So the so there's several things in that. Number one, um, God God rebukes them and says, "You you know the things that you were saying were not right," but He says, "Job is going to pray for you, and I will receive his prayers." And so, what is our attitude whenever people do us wrong? Whenever people judge us wrong, falsely, and accuse us wrong and stuff, or, you know, do we get an attitude towards them? It's because of the fact that they judged him wrong. That God says, I will hear your prayers for them. So, you know, we think about it. What it's saying is that your prayers for someone that is persecuting you or for somebody that is judging you harshly, if your attitude is right, if your heart is right, your prayers for them are powerful. Yes. And God is willing to listen to that prayer because he knows that you're, when you're praying for someone that has persecuted you or judged you wrongly or, or whatever, God knows that you are laying down your life at that point. You know what I'm saying? You are truly praying for their best interest and it's not 
for your benefit or for your blessing or anything like that, unless you're doing it in front of a crowd or, you know, to be seen <laughs> by men or whatever. But God knows that at this point, just like Jesus, when he prayed, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. And, and, and um, Stephen, when they were stoning him, he, he said, Father, do not hold this sin against them. I mean, that is mind-blowing to me. I mean, <laughs> you know, you talk, you, you know, we all know about Corey Tinboom. I mean, how she was in a prison camp and her sister died in a prison camp and all of her family was killed. But she would pray for her prison guards that abused them, that mistreated them, that tortured them. And I look at myself and I'm like, I don't know, you know, because I, you know, it's like, I believe in justice, right? And I'm going to get some justice and things. And, you know... The thing is, is the Bible is very strong on justice, but more than that, it's about forgiving. It's stronger on forgiving your enemies. And I think that a lot of times the justice that God wants us to have is for other people and not for ourselves, right? But when we begin to pray for our persecutors, when we pray for those who hate us, when we pray for, for those who do not deserve our prayers, that's when we're laying down our lives. And God loves it when we lay down our lives for others, when we're not in it for ourselves, we're not glorifying ourselves, we're not in it for our selfishness. There's nothing that we can get out of that. And so God heard their prayer, Job's prayers for his friends, and he, he forgave them. He blessed them. 